the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and his crew become shipwrecked. But God keeps them all safe and uses this to help Paul witness to these men. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 27, verse 27. The title of the message is... Jesus is still working. Acts 27. It's always such a joy for me to come to the close of a book because you think of the journey we've taken together, right? You know, we started somewhere and now we're here and we think of all the things that God has done in that time. And I trust that as we've been going through the book of Acts that The Lord has been teaching us that he's still working, that he has a work for us to do, that he has called us to be his witnesses. You know, Luke began this book to teach Theophilus, and then, of course, then by us, that Jesus didn't stop working after his ascension. He continued his work through the church by his spirit. From the initial outpouring of Pentecost to Paul's ministry about the storm-tossed ship, where we left off last week, Jesus has continued doing his work, which leads us to the question, what is Jesus doing now? Just as his work wasn't finished at the end of Luke's gospel, it's not finished when we hit the end of Acts chapter 28. And so as we see Luke wrap up the story, you know, may it challenge us to be yielded right where the Lord wants us. Lord, where do you want me to be? And then as he calls us to that place to be yielded to that, say, God, I'm okay with this. I I know that you can cause me to flourish in the situation that I'm in in order that we all might carry the torch on until he comes back. So let's pick it up in Acts 27, verse 27. And remember, they're in the middle of this massive hurricane. They're caught in this ship. And Paul has come out and he has said, hey, I've been praying, I've been fasting, and the Lord spoke to me and said that no harm is going to come to anybody here. We're going to make it out of this, but the ship's going to be destroyed. But during that time, it says in verse 27, at the 14th night of their trip, so many other days and nights, it says, as we were driven up and down in the Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, some land. And they sounded and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again, and they found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should be fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, and they wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. 
So here we see that God is using Paul to ensure everyone's survival. And the first part is as these days and nights are just coming and going, and there seems to be no end to the storm, they begin, the shipmen, they begin to realize we are nearing land. Being on the sea often, you get used to certain sounds. You know, when you do certain things, you work certain jobs, or at night, you get used to certain sounds. I have a hard time sleeping in a hotel because I hear other sounds. I'm used to the creaking and groaning, you know, as the house is settling and stuff, and you hear those noises. You know, when you first move into a home, that kind of freaks you out a little bit, you know, but now. I'm used to the fact that we've got lots of trees all around my house, and so they drop branches all throughout the night, and they clatter on the roof and stuff. Those things don't bother me, but out of the ordinary sounds usually wake me up right away and catch my attention. As a sailor, you get used to hearing certain things. You hear the sound of breakers against land, something that maybe we would not pick up, but they hear that, and so they began to drop the plummet, a rope with a dead weight to check water depth, and as they realize as they're moving along that the water depth is getting less and less. And so they immediately, they were terrified, and so they throw out the four anchors on the stern of the ship, and it says they wished in verse 29 for the day. The word there, wished, it means to pray and keep on praying. Their prayer is that daylight will come, and they will be able to, before the anchors break under the strain of the storm, and they'll be able to somehow maneuver this ship or get the ship into a harbor or somewhere safe, or at least crash it in a place where everybody will survive. But when day doesn't come, some of the sailors decide to jump ship and make for land. It says in verse 30 that as a shipman, so these are all the sailors, and you got all the prisoners, all the soldiers, any other passengers there, they're going to be stranded without any of the sailors. All the sailors decide, you know what? Day is not coming. All this praying's not helping. Let's get out of here. And so they are about to flee out of the ship. They remember that I mentioned last week that dinghy that the ship carried with it to kind of help it navigate and stuff at times. They're going to let this thing down. They're going to all get on that and they're going to figure we'll find this land in the small ship and won't crash on a sandbar or anything like that. And so they were pretending or looking like they're going to cast anchors on the other side too to make it more firm. But Paul notices and he knows what's going on. And so he said to the centurion, Julius and the soldiers, Listen, man, if if these guys leave, we are dead. There's nobody can guide this ship in there. We need these guys. And so the soldiers went over there and they cut the ropes of the boat and let it fall off. Now, Julius and his soldiers, they're not fools. Paul had been more reliable and wise than the captain or the owner of the ship up to this point. And not only had they made a bad decision, but they'd lost morale. And so Paul here, he realizes if we lose these guys, we don't have a shot. And so Paul, it's interesting, he's the one giving orders now. He's the one shackled, tugging on the guy, you know. Hey, Brent, can you take me to your boss? See those guys over there? They're pretending to drop anchor, but really they're getting ready to leave. And so at that point in time, the soldiers have none of that, and they cut the ship loose. But isn't that crazy? You know, Paul starts off this trip, and he's the prisoner, and now he's the one giving the orders. God does crazy stuff like that. Sometimes you look and you go, where am I at right now? What, is, what are you doing, Lord? This is not going to work out. This is, this is bad. This is just bad. And Lord, so, like, you don't know how I like to change things. You don't know how I like to do things. God, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. I've been hesitant to share this because I you just never know. Um, but most of you guys know we're trying to adopt from India. And that door was slammed shut on us. Absolutely slammed shut. When we got involved in the program, one of the reasons we got involved, and I don't, 
have time today to tell the whole story of why we're adopting. You know, there's probably a lot of people going, you got four kids already, why do you need to adopt another one? And, and there's a story behind it, though, an important story and a reason why we want to do that. We are very thankful for our four children, um, but we wanted to give a loving home to another child. And we, we, when we joined the India program, you know, one of the things we felt like, oh, this is the Lord, is because it, it mentions on, in their program that, you know, as long as you don't have more than four children, you can adopt. And they think, well, we got four, so we're good. And, uh, but they denied us uh, about two weeks ago saying, you have four kids, you, you know, you don't qualify. And I was like, you know, our adoption agency said, I'm not sure what's going on here. File a grievance because you're well within those means. And so, you know, but I remember sitting there going to bed at night after we got that call from the adoption agency saying they denied us. And I thought, Lord, this is so weird. Everything's, you've worked out everything so far. And now it's just like the door was slammed in our face, you know? And, and I thought, Lord, did we not hear you right? Is this something you don't want to do? And so we filed the grievance and we heard back just uh, yesterday or two days ago and they said, we regret to inform you that you already have four children. You know, you do not qualify for our program. And so it's like the door slammed shut again. And I even quoted, I quoted their website when I emailed them. And I said, it says that you, if you have no more than four children, what's, why, why are you disqualifying us? We do meet your, your requirements. And, uh, you know, I, I went to bed and I thought, again, Lord, you know, have you, did we miss here? And, you know, I was so encouraged by the Lord as I was going through this study. And I thought to myself, you know, Paul's shackled to this guy and look at what God's doing. And I thought, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do because obviously right now it looks like this is dead in the water. But God has the ability to raise the dead. So I don't know what he's going to do. And I would encourage you to pray for us because we don't know what to do at this point. But we know the Lord, he does his thing. And so we're going to excitedly trust him. We're going to rest in him. So verse 33, Paul begins to prepare for daybreak. While the day was coming on, so they want to jump ship, but now the day finally is coming on. And so Paul, he besought them and he begged them and he said, guys, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting and having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some food, take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. When he had thus spoken, he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer and they also took some food. And we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16, which is just 276 souls. You know, God answered the prayers, didn't he? Day came. God answered their prayers, day came. It'd be very easy at this point to get back to work at surviving. But Paul says, let's take some time to thank God. Can you imagine the scene of all these men gathered around to eat as Paul thanks God? Again, he's chained to a soldier, you know? Come a little closer so I can fold my hands. He's chained to a soldier, and here he is leading them all in thanking the Lord for prayer. Can you imagine the smiles and the laughter as sailor, soldier, and prisoner all share a meal together? What a turnaround. Paul might be wearing chains, but he certainly doesn't look like a prisoner, does he? God's word isn't bound. And so it mentions that they were all of good cheer and they all ate, they all took some food. And it mentions just, Luke just draws this out that they were in the ship, 276. And he uses the word souls, souls. 276 people that Jesus died for. That's how he looked at it, souls. This is how much God loves every single person around you. 
in the same way that these 276 people, God says, you know, how can I reach these 276 people? I know, I'll put my servant on the ship. How are we going to get him on the ship? I know, let's make him a prisoner. We just don't know what the Lord's doing. God loves people so much that he'd be willing to put you on a ship as a prisoner to reach them. Just as he sent Paul on a prison ship to Rome, God has sent you, maybe in difficult circumstances, to your place of influence, your sphere of influence. Do you realize that? Have you embraced it? The thing that amazes me about Paul the Apostle, I mean, Paul... He is so candid. He talks about how he, at times he despaired even of life. There were times he was really down. He really struggled. But Paul seems to always come to that place where he just embraces wherever it is that God has him. He may be frustrated. He might even be angry. He might be so down. He just wants to die and, and go to heaven. But when it comes to it, he just says, okay, Lord, this is where you've got me. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm all in for you, wherever it is that you have me. Verse 38 when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. They started taking out the, the stuff. I know lands nearby. They could see it now. They lightened the ship and they cast the wheat into the sea. That's the whole reason this ship from Alexandria is headed to Rome. But they cast it out into the sea so that the ship would be more shallow in the water. And when it was day, they knew not the land. They didn't recognize what the place was. But they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the sh- ship. The word there, creek, it actually means a beach. So they saw this kind of cove, this bay. It's actually called St. Paul's Bay now. It's in the island of Malta, a little tiny island to the southwest of Sicily. And they see this, this bay, this little tiny bay that they're going to try to thrust the ship in there so it kind of can get stuck or, or get beached on there. And then it won't be very a violent type of a entrance and, and a crash. And so verse 40 says, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea. They loosed the rudder bands, all the things that were holding the ship tightly together so that they could now gain some control and try to get it into this bay. And they hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and they made towards shore. And falling into a place where the two seas met, they came to a place where there was a sandbar or a reef. It says that they ran the ship aground. So it finally hit ground and the forepart stuck right in that sandbar But it says that it remained unmovable, but the hinder part, verse 41, was broken with the violence of the waves. The storm is still battering the back end of the ship. And so the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. And the reason for that, of course, is because if you're a soldier and the prisoners escape under your care, you suffer their punishment. And so they thought, let's just kill them lest any of them escape and we lose our lives. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. And he commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and then get to land and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. Just like Paul had said, all of them escaped safely to the land. Verse one of chapter 28, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Malta. When they finally got there, they, they got to the, the beach. They realized this is the island of Malta. It's a port stop for most Alexandrian grain ships, but that port's actually 20 miles to the southeast of where they are. They've crashed a little bit too far to the north. And it mentions that the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. If you're from Malta, I'm sorry. The Bible's not trying to insult you. The word barbarous or barbarian, it comes from a phrase that means to murmur. 
And the idea was if you were not a Greek-speaking people, then you were a barbarian because they just thought when you talked, it was just bar, 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 bar. We don't know what you're talking about. It just seemed uncouth to them, uneducated, and so they called you a barbarian. We tend to think of the big husky guy with the hat and, you know, Genghis Khan, all that kind of stuff, but that's not what's being referred to here. These were a Phoenician people, a sailing people, but again, non-Greek-speaking and therefore thought to be inferior and called barbarians. But it mentions here that they showed us no little kindness or an unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and they received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Now when it talks about this kindness, this is the natural affection towards our fellow man that God puts inside of us. Most of us, if you see a child fall and you're the closest person or you see him falling, you go, oh, you know, you go to grab him so he doesn't fall. Most of us, Okay. Most of us have that natural affection. If you see someone who is hurting or in pain, you want to help them. You feel bad for them. There is a natural affection inside of us. Uh, This word is actually sometimes translated, kindness here, is translated humanity. They showed us no little humanity. We see it come out during crises among those who have not seared their conscience yet. I remember when Hurricane Charlie came through my neighborhood, right through the center of my neighborhood. I mean, trees were down everywhere on houses and stuff. Everybody was out. Anybody had a chainsaw was out. I mean, the drunk down the street had a chainsaw out and, and he was out there cutting trees. I mean, everybody, didn't matter what background you came from, didn't matter what kind of life you, there was just that sense of humanity. You saw your fellow man in pain and struggling and you went to go help. And you know, God, he created us in his image. And that's why we have that. There are those who have seared their conscience and they don't do that. They tend to take advantage of another struggles. We see it when a city goes through difficulty and they break into stores and they steal things. They have seared their conscience. But most people, when they see something like that, they want to rally together and help out. Now, sometimes this causes humanity to think that we're basically good. See, we see these things and we think, oh yeah, man is good. Man's really good. No, God created us in his image and he gave us this natural affection. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter one, it talks about how God gives them over to unnatural affection. It talks about in the end times, how women will not have natural affection for their children, but rather they'll abandon that affection. There's a thing that's ingrained into them, the mommy gene, so to speak. And and there'll be a time in the end times when, when women will sear their conscience and they'll walk away from that. But the idea here is that generally speaking, we're created in God's image and he gives us this natural affection. So this is not that mankind is basically good. In fact, we only declare our rebellious pride even worse when we ascribe the goodness to ourselves instead of glorifying God for making us that way. So they were kind to them. They were cold and they helped them out. In verse three, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said amongst themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance does not allow him to live. But he shook off the beast into the fire and he felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. See how fickle people can be? (laughs) One day I'm the best husband in the world. (laughs) I can say that because she's teaching the kids. Don't say anything. Just kidding. I know all of you will. (laughs) 
A couple of things to notice here. First off, I love that we find here Paul's gathering sticks. Paul goes from prisoner to influential person to leading the entire ship in mealtimes. He's telling the centurions and the soldiers what to do. And yet, what do we find him here doing? He could have very easily been sitting back and going, yeah, you take care of that, you take care of that, you do that. But we find him serving. Leadership is service, always. That's all it is. Jesus said the Son of Man had not come to be served, but to serve, right? And to give his life a ransom for many. You know, I see people all the time, they'll mention, I know God's called me to great things. I know God has greater things for me. And I just say, but you're not doing anything. (laughs) You're not serving. Are you serving? A long time ago, Pastor Gibb, I remember when I was saying, how do you raise up leaders? I was 22, 23 years old. And we were just starting to see some people come to the Bible study. And, you know, how do you find leaders? How do you know? And he said, look for the people who serve. Don't look for gifts. Don't look for talent. He said, just look for people who have a servant's heart. And that's what I've always made my criteria. Are they faithful? Do they have a heart to serve? Are menial tasks not below them? Is that their desire? That's what you look for. That's what Jesus looked for. Secondly, this whole incident with the snake, it's fascinating because the snake comes out of the heat, you know, it was probably trying to get warm too. And, and, you know, Paul grabs the sticks and, you know, and it throws it in the fire and, and it, you know, that's why it was probably close to the fire, but then he throws the sticks in and the snake's like, I'm not having none of that. And he grabs onto Paul's hand and fastens there onto his hand and all the Maltese people, they saw it. And, and it says that they thought, ah, oh, man, no doubt this guy's a murderer because even though he escaped shipwreck, vengeance is not allowed him to live. And that word vengeance there is the word dike in the, in the Greek. It's the goddess of justice. She's usually holding a sword in one hand and a pair of scales in the other. And they think, oh, dike is going to get him. You know, he's not going to escape. And so, but Paul just shakes off the beast, shakes off the snake into the fire and he's, nothing happens. And so as they're watching, they, they thought, well, you know, he should be getting a fever and swelling up and, and getting ready to die or, or just falling down dead immediately. But it's nothing happened. And so they changed their minds and said he was a god. Well, because they, you think you don't see anything like that, right? I mean, if you, we had these little annoying things, these brown and black widows at our previous home. And I don't know how they got in, but they got in. And they, these things are mean looking. I mean, I remember there was one time I, we were cleaning out the carport because we were moving. And so I'm pulling everything out. And I'm, I'm doing it, being careful. I'm wearing gloves because I know we had some problems with these things. And I bring out one of the kids' bikes. And sure enough, I bring, and they're all in there. They're just crawling out everywhere. And so I'm spraying them with stuff, whatever. And, you know, and then things just like on its, you know, legs all up in the air and it's hissing at me and stuff. And I'm, I don't want nothing to do with those, you know, because I know, you know, if it bites me, it's going to be bad. (laughs) And that's what they expected. They thought, no, this is the expectation. Something like that bites you, you know, you're going to go down. And and when he doesn't, they think that's a miracle, you know, that's super, that's great. That's impossible. How did that happen? This is what Jesus meant when he said they would take up deadly serpents and not die. Not that we should pass poisonous snakes around during church to decipher who doesn't have pure faith. We chuckle, but there are churches that do that. There were churches in the extreme Pentecostal movement that said, hey, the Bible says it, man. We should be doing it. We pray for people to be healed. We got to have snakes. So next Sunday, no. No snakes here ever. What I think Jesus was trying to say when he went through that list of things, he's saying, I do miraculous things in my people's lives. And the whole purpose is that these signs will follow them that believe. Why? So we can preach the gospel, right? That was the whole function of this. 
You know, this miracle opened the door for Paul to minister to even more people while they waited out the winter seas. Look at verse 7. For it says, in the same quarters were possessions or fields of the chief man of the island. That was the official title of these people. You were the chief man of the island, okay? And this guy, this ruler, his name was Publius, and he had these fields right by this bay. What a coincidence. No coincidences with God. It says, who received us and lodged us for three days courteously. Well, what would prompt him to do something like that? Well, he's probably hearing noise about all this. This guy is bit by a snake and nothing happened to him. He should have died, you know? And so it came to pass, well, we see now why he probably invited them in, that the father of Publius was sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. He had dysentery is what that bloody flux there means. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So that when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. God killed like tons of birds with this one stone. Through this miracle of surviving this bite, he's able to minister to this guy Publius to heal his father. And then we see all these people from the island come and they're ministered to. And then in turn, they get all the supplies they need to continue their journey. That's met as well. And so God takes care of everything. And it all started with the the bite of this viper that did not kill Paul. Lord, now we ask the question, what about us? What, what, What part do you have us playing right now as you continue to do your work, continue to tell your story to a world that needs you? God, give us boldness, give us courage. That power from on high you promised in Acts 1, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Baptize us with your spirit anew and afresh. But Lord, send us out that we might win the lost and disciple the saved. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.